a hard set, so hard sectional because you're all a little full, you're all a little sleepy. Hopefully I'll keep you awake. I'll do my very, very best. But I'm glad you're here and it's good to be talking books again. Oh man, it's been a while. Um, if you're looking for the handout online, the QR code up there will supply you that. Or mjandsisha.weebly.com is where you can find all of our old lists as well. So all of Trisha Bull's picture book lists, all of my own chapter book lists, it is all available at mjandsisha.weebly.com. Feel free to email me anytime if you have questions. Um, mjstall at 4hps.org. All right, before we really jump in, I have to make you aware of a free audiobook app, a free audiobook program. As teachers, if you go to libro.fm and search the ALC program, every month you'll get an email with a variety of free audiobooks. Free forever. They're not just your unit for two weeks. It is yours forever, and they are free. Um, and they, you don't get to choose what audiobooks, but they will send you a whole bunch of them. So this past month, I actually got Pony. The R.J. Palacio was in there. Um, there's usually some pretty popular books in those free options every month. So if you're looking for a great way to listen to audiobooks, check out Libro.fm, the ALC program. And I don't know about you, but during the lockdown, I went through a major reading slump. I struggled to sit down and read a book. So a lot of my reading and a lot of the books I'm going to tell you about, I listen to. Yes, listening to books is reading books. Don't tell your kids it's not, because it still is. Um, and this was a program where I got a lot of the books that I'm actually going to recommend to you today. So, you ready? It's time for books. Here we go. We're going to start with a bunch of books that I just loved this year. We're going to start with Shine. I actually was going to tell you about this one last year, so it's a little older. You might be able to get it in paperback. Shine is by J.J. and Chris Gravenstein. I would suggest this as a read-aloud, um, simply because there are so many things you can talk about with your class. The main character's name is Piper Lily, and she's not quite really sure who she wants to be, because she is a new student at Chumley Prep, which is a very fancy private school on the East Coast, where her father teaches music, which is a much better option and makes much more money than writing music for Broadway. Um, so she is new to this school. She wants to fulfill her mother's legacy. Her mom was a very gifted cello player, cellist, I guess would be the correct term. Um, and she, Piper just desperately wants to live into that legacy of her mom being this very gifted cellist at Chumley Prep. So when the school announces this competition called the Excelsior Competition, which is an award given out for being great. So Piper thinks that to get this award, she has to be great at the science fair, or she has to be great at the talent show. And she uses every chance she can to show off her awesomeness, only to find out at the end of the book that it's not about your achievements, it's about who you are and how you treat others. So I'm not gonna tell you who wins the award, but it's all about Kindness is what gets the winning thing in the end, which is a great lesson for our kids to learn. Um, it is set in middle school, but it reads much younger. So fourth, fifth grade, this could be a great class read-aloud. I have a bunch of fifth graders right now reading at my building. Can't keep it on the shelves. We'll start with Shine. The next one I want to talk about uh, is Renee Watson. Renee Watson has written several young adult books that I've read and have enjoyed. So when I saw she was writing a middle grade or a younger book, very excited, and she did not disappoint. Um, this book is very sweet. It is the story of a nine-year-old girl named Ryan Hart, 
And yes, her parents named her Ryan on purpose, and she explains all of that. Um, a lot of people are comparing Ryan to Ramona Clooney. She kind of has that feel. She's full of life, she's full of excitement, she loves everything, and she can find joy in almost everything she does. Um, unfortunately, her father has lost his job. They have to sell their second car, they have to move to a new house, she's farther away from her friends, and she's suddenly having a hard time finding that joy. Mixed into all of this, she has a major fear of public speaking, and she has to give a speech in front of her church about what Easter means to her, and she's terrified of it. Um, you also have in there that she is trying to become a baker, and her recipes aren't turning out quite right, and Ryan is just struggling. Um, and then you mix into that all as well, she is trying to follow her parents' instructions. And she goes to a sleepover where her mom says, Ryan, you can't get your hair wet. It's Easter, you can't get your hair wet. But she decides to go in the pool anyway. So there's a lot of things in this book. Changes, friendships, fitting in, um, siblings, trying to turn that negative into the positive. I think this would be a great third grade read aloud. Um, the second book, Ways to Grow Love, is out. It just came out recently. I was prepping for CDA, so I've not read a follow-up to it. Um, but the first one, warm your heart. Don't warm your heart. Clarice the Brave. Let's talk about Lisa McMahon, shall we? Um, Lisa is actually from Holland. She now lives in Arizona. And if you have not read her Unwanted series, that'd be a great place for your fourth or fifth or sixth graders to start with. But this is her first standalone book after the Unwanted Soul wrapped up. And Lisa claims this is her favorite book. According to Lisa's sister, at least, this is her favorite book. Right, Trisha? True. Trisha is Lisa's sister, by the way. Um, this is Lisa's 27th book, and Clarice is a mouse. And Clarice has never really understood what the word mutiny means until she's in the middle of one. The whole book starts off with a mutiny at sea, and Clarice ends up on the boat, separated from her only surviving family member, her little brother, Charles Sebastian, and Clarice is set off with the captain and his crew as they have been kicked off the boat in the middle of the mutiny. Clarice promises to find Charles Sebastian back, but with a cat that's out together named Special Lady and being stranded with these sailors, how in the world does two mice ever find their way back together? This is a beautiful standalone book. Um, my favorite quote is, it only takes one mouse to believe in you. I am that mouse. Mm -hmm. Well done, Lisa. Um, the next one I want to talk about is a very quick one. Um, this one is called The One Thing You'd Say. You can easily read this in a day, and I think this would actually be a really cool class project. The whole premise of this book is something catastrophic is happening, happening to your house. What's the one thing you would say? Your family and your pets are safe. You don't have to worry about them. After them, what would you grab? And so the whole book goes through what all these different characters would say from their house. Um, I think this would be a great way to start your school year. It would be a great way to find out what's really special to these kids. And the teacher has a great way in the book of saying, you know what, there really are no rules. If you want to take a whole bookcase with all your books, take it. There are no rules. Um, you can read this easily in an afternoon and do the whole project. It'd be a great little project to get to know your kids. 
maybe, maybe Marisol Rainey. Oh, this book. I think this is a great read aloud for second or third grade, actually. Um, again, Marisol Rainey is a shy young lady who is full of anxiety. And she, there's one thing she wants to do in this life at her age of, you know, nine years old. Um, she wants to climb a tree in her backyard that she has named Papina. Now, Marisol names everything, and she gives you reasons for naming everything. So, um, she has Buster Keaton, the refrigerator, or there's Betty Big Mouth, the sofa. Um, and she gives these names to all of these objects, and the tree in the backyard, which is a perfect climbing tree, is named Papina. And she wants to climb it, but she just is too afraid. Um, it's set in Louisiana. Um, a lot of it is dealing with friendship again, overcoming fears and anxieties, sibling love and struggle. Um, a parent who works away from home, there's some diversity in it. She has, her mom comes from another country that I didn't write down. And so of course her mom can't think of it. But her mom is from another country, and so the, um, Marisol is curious what happens in this other country and what her ancestors and her relatives are like that she's never met. Um, and there's also a beautiful friendship. She has a friend named Jada, and Jada isn't afraid to climb the tree, and Jada accepts Marisol for who she is. It's a healthy, well-defined, well-developed friendship that we don't often see in a lot of books, um, but this is a great one. And not only that, but the illustrations are done by the author. So Erin and Chana Kelly is, does a great, great job in this book. Well worth your time, well worth reading it aloud. Let's talk about Gary D. Schmidt, who all had Gary at Kelvin. Uh -huh. We all know his use of language is second to none. This is another quick, simple, short book. Um, I found myself in tears at the end of it because I was just so moved by Gary's use of language. Every word is so carefully chosen, and the story is so seamlessly told. Essentially, it's that Samuel is on his first trading trip with, trading trip with his papa. Um, they meet strangers along the way. They practice good manners. And you know what? Samuel is just happy to spend the day with his dad. Every place they go, they trade up for something. Because they're trying to get a milk cow for mama. That's what she really wants. And so Samuel and his dad go from house to house, from place to place, and they're trading up, trying to get this cow. Um, honestly, you can even tie this to an economics lesson. You can read this in one afternoon. If there's some snowy January day and you're just sick of teaching for a while, sit down in your class, read this book to them, and just enjoy a nice, sweet story. Plus, you get illustrations from... Um, from Newberry Honor winner, Eugene Yelchin. So you can't go wrong, really. <laughs> Simon B. Ryman. I have a couple teachers at my school who will use an audiobook as a read aloud, which is a great idea. I might do it all the time. But if you're looking to give your voice a break, use an audiobook. This would be a great one to use. Simon B. Ryman is written by Dwayne Reed. He's the rapping teacher from Chicago. And so there's a lot of rapping in it. And unless you are a rap expert, Looking around the room, probably not many of us. Um, <laughs> this would be a great one to use as an audiobook because Dwayne himself reads it and he raps it for you and it is fun and upbeat. Essentially, the book is about 11 year old Simon Barnes. He's in fifth grade and he wants to become a famous rapper, 
known as the notorious, the notorious D.O.G. Because who won't want to be called the notorious D.O.G.? Um, unfortunately, Simon has a major fear of public speaking. So the idea of becoming a world famous rapper could be a little tough. Um, but his teacher assigns an oral presentation on something that affects their community. And Simon decides to do his presentation on homelessness. And so he goes into the community and he gets to know people's stories. And really, is there anything more powerful than getting to know people's stories? And that's what this book is all about. Um, because he gets empathy from learning these people's stories. And he gets the bravery to rap in front of his class about the homelessness lessons that he learned um, while doing this project. There is a second Simon B. Ryan coming out in 2022. And I am very much looking forward to another Simon B. Ryan. So audiobook of that one. All right, third grade teachers, this is for you. Um, it's hard to find a good mystery for third graders. I think we've got a good series. This one is called The Secret Spy Society, and the first one is called The Case of the Missing Cheetah. There are three girls, Peggy, Rita, and Dot. They each have their own special gifts, special things that they can do. Rita is a problem solver, Dot is a stunt girl, and Peggy is a performer. And they become part of a secret spy society, which includes all these famous female spies from history. So I have a feeling what's going to happen is that every book in the series is going to feature a different famous spy from history. Um, and in this one, Rita, Dot, and Peggy have to find out who kidnapped a cheetah. Um, so far, I think this was a great mystery, great illustrations. You've got disguises, you've got secret codes, you've got double agents, all the things that make a really good mystery at a third grade level. They're hard to find. But we got one, so give it a try. Check it out. Would you recommend that for any Um, I would say yes. It's going to be easier for them. Um, I read it in probably half an hour, and I'm actually a very slow reader. Um, but it is, I would say, yeah, it's one of those books that if you've got some lower readers in your higher grades and you're looking for a new mystery, this is your one. Great question. Great question. Um, Jojo McCoons is written by Dawn Quigley. This would be another read aloud. Um, this is one of them that I got free from Libro FM. And this is actually a little bit younger than third grade. So if you're a first or second grade teacher, this would also be a great fit for you. Um, because Jojo is actually a first grader. Um, but it is a beautiful chapter book as well. This, I have a feeling, is also going to be a series of books. What I am super excited about is that Jojo is from the Ojibwe tribe. And so not only do we have a great, beautiful picture book about a strong young lady, she's Native American, which those books are also hard to come by. And so throughout the book, we learn Ojibwe words, we learn traditions, and we learn all of these different elements of what it is to be a Native American today. So if you're looking for a great read-aloud, like around Thanksgiving, this would be a good choice. Introduce your kids to something that's happening today um, and affecting lives today. Um, essentially, Jojo's a first grader, and she acts like a first grader. She goes through all these things of not understanding exactly what words mean and what things do, but she is well-developed. There's great humor in this book. Um, honestly, it's just a beautiful book, and I might get some flack for this, 
But I would read Jojo Bakuins any day over Judy B. Sorry to the Judy B fans, but Jojo is here to take over. <laughs> um, Avon Green. You might know Avon from insignificant events in the life of a cactus or momentous events in the life of a cactus by Dusty Bowling. Um, and now Avon is a third grader, and we learn what Avon's life is like as a third grader. She was born without arms, and so the books basically take us through um, Avon's day. In the first book, she is a, clearly a detective because she's been solving mysteries for a whole month, which makes her a detective. And in the second book, it's all about baking, and we learn how she bakes using her feet, how she cracks eggs, how she measures sugar and flour. Um, there's a great spot illustration throughout it, which makes it a great fit for third graders. Third graders, fourth graders, and then you move right into the cactus books. Um, the third Avon Green book is going to be Avon Green Music Machine, which I don't know about you, but in my head, I start singing Music Machine, Music Machine, but not for my age. But, great, great, great series for third graders. Billy Miller is making a comeback. Um, Kevin Hankus, who wrote Billy, Billy Miller a Year. Trisha? The Year of Billy Miller. The Year of Billy Miller. Um, in the Year of Billy Miller, ugh, sorry, even I have lunch, I'm tired too. Um, the Year of Billy Miller, he is in second grade. In this book, he has graduated from second grade, it's the summer before third grade, and it's his birthday. And he makes a wish that something exciting is going to happen in his neighborhood. As soon as he makes a wish, we hear sirens, and an ambulance goes to his elderly neighbor's house. And Billy is convinced that this all happens because of his wish for something exciting to happen in his neighborhood. A series of other events happen throughout the book that makes Billy convinced that he is the cause of all of these things because of his one birthday wish. Um, written as only Kevin Hankus can do, beautiful words, beautiful language. Here's my suggestion. Third grade teachers, pair up with your second grade teachers. In second grade, read the year Billy Miller. Third grade, read Billy Miller makes a wish. Or if you're a second grade teacher and you don't want to connect those third grade teachers, then read Billy, the year Billy Miller at the beginning of the year, Billy Miller makes a wish at the end of the year. Um, I think it'd be a great, great read aloud. Billy is just a great character that kids will love. Skunk and Badger is basically the new Froggy Toad, um, is what it is, with great pictures by John Clausen. How can you not love a book with illustrations by John Clausen? This is just a series that made me smile as I read it. As I read it. Um, I actually just had a fourth grader read the first book, and I told her I wanted to know her review of it, and she brought it back to the library, and she said, it was great, it was so great. And I asked her yesterday in the library again, I said, was it still as good as what you thought it was? And she said, oh yeah, tell the teachers, it's fabulous. So Badger is a rock scientist, and he has important rock work to do. He lives in a brownstone that his aunt Lulu, Lula, let him live in. Unfortunately, Aunt Lula has told Skunk that he can live there too. And now Badger's quiet times with his rocks and his important, important rock work has been taken over by Skunk. And Skunk's very odd connection to chickens, which I'm still trying to figure out what exactly the chicken piece in all of this was, 
But even with the unique connection to chickens, it's still a fun and heartwarming book. Um, again, third grade, fourth grade, these would be a great, great themes of friendship, acceptance, um, and allowing others into your life. Cindy and Taylor. Um, Cindy and Taylor are, we've got lots of skunks this year. Apparently a skunk here for us. Um, Cindy is a skunk, Taylor is a hedgehog. Again, unlikely friendships. These are heavily illustrated. These are definitely for third grade readers. Um, in the first book, they want to explore the whole wide world until they realize how big the whole wide world actually is. In the second book, um, Taylor wants to become the world's first flying hedgehog. So they're just funny, they're clever. Um, the third book comes out in February. These would be great for your third grade classrooms. All right, fourth and sixth graders. Halfway to Harmony is Barbara O'Connor. I can see this being a read aloud for sure. Um, Barbara O'Connor has a unique way of writing books just that makes them accessible and sweet and kind and warm. Um, I actually had a student last year who made it her goal to read every single Barbara O'Connor book we had. Because Barbara O'Connor just has a way of writing great books with great themes that kids can connect to. So in this book, Walter and his family are grieving the loss of Walter's brother, Tank. Tank joined the army without telling anyone his family and never said goodbye. And he didn't come back from war. And so Walter and his mom and his dad are struggling with this new adjustment. When in next door moves a little girl named Posey and her three-legged dog named Porkchop. And Walter and Posey start going on adventures. And one day they're out and about and they find what they believe to be a dead body. Well, it's not actually a dead body. It's a man named Banjo who fell out of his hot air balloon. Because Banjo is trying to win a hot air balloon race so that he can get money for a new car. Um, so Walter and Posey now go on a quest to help Banjo find this hot air balloon. There's a little romance between Banjo and, and Posey's mom. Um, and in through all of that, we've got healing from Tank's loss. We've got humor, heart, hope. It's just a great Barbara O'Connor book. And don't worry, although there is a dog on the cover, the dog survives. <laughs> we all know when a dog's on the cover, it can get a little sketchy. Not this time. Roll with this. Um, it's written by a mom whose son actually has CP and is in a wheelchair as well. So this is kind of her way of helping other um, families and kids who struggle with disabilities. Ellie is a sixth grader. She has cerebral palsy. And she lives with her mom in Nashville. Uh, her father left when she was young, and she really doesn't have many memories of her father. She and her mom are going to move to Oklahoma to be um, with her grandparents, who are starting to get older and really can't live by themselves anymore. Um, so Ellie now has to adjust to a new life in a new city, and she lives in a trailer park. And she'll actually say that being in a wheelchair is hard. She never knew that living in a trailer park would be even harder because of the stigmas that come along with it. Um, but she does make new friends. She's trying to become a professional baker. And she ends up really almost preferring Oklahoma. And so when her mom talks about going back to Nashville, there's a little bit of a struggle because Ellie's not quite sure she wants to give up all the new friends she's made in Oklahoma. It's a beautiful story of friendship. It moves very quickly. There's great humor in it. 
Just a great read. <laughs> so let's talk about Kevin Hart. <laughs> yes, Kevin Hart wrote a book. Um, let's also give credit to his ghostwriter named Jeff Rodkey. Although I have a feeling Kevin Hart had quite a bit of writing in this. I read this on a whim. I was between books. I had the audio version of it from Libro.fm. And so I decided to turn it on. Just, I thought, it's Kevin Hart. Who knows? It was shockingly good. And Kevin Hart actually reads the audiobook, which made it even more fun. Um, so here's the deal. Who knew Kevin Hart could write a book? Marcus Jenkins lives in a small apartment with his dad. Throughout the book, there are mentions of his mom, and there's a picture of mom in the background, but we don't ever really find out what happens to mom. Um, Marcus gets in trouble a lot, probably because he lost his mom at a young age, somehow. We find out at the end. Um, and so Marcus is stuck in an after-school film class. Marcus, however, really likes graphic novels. He decides that he can turn his graphic novel named Toothpick into a movie. So he just wants to jump in. He kind of writes a screenplay, kind of doesn't. He doesn't want advice from everyone, from anyone on how to do this. But then he realizes he's got a lot of work to do on this. And he gets some life lessons. He realizes the value of teamwork. He realizes the value of community, because even in his projects, he involves the bullies in school in this film project. And the other kids are like, why do we invite the bullies? Marcus includes them. Um, after his quick, messy screenplay, he learns the importance of editing and revising. Hey! And then, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. We find out what actually happened to his mom. At the end of this movie that they're making, Marcus insists they film this last scene in a hospital because Toothpick has to go and save um, a person who is sick named Angel. And we discover that Marcus really wants to film this whole scene in the exact room where his mom died. And so there's this grief and healing that happens throughout the end of the book as well. Um, and it's just a beautiful way of seeing and even helping our kids understand who are maybe struggling with some life things, there's more going on there. And how can we help them come through that? So, I love this book. Kevin Hart. Who knew? Gordon Corman is always good for a good book. This one's called Unplugged. And then Gordon Corman makes a list twice today. So, here's your first Gordon Corman book. Um, this book is set in a wellness camp called Oasis. Where everyone is forced to hand over their cell phones, eat only vegetables, and do very wholesome activities. So when Jet Bart Baranov arrives, he is the son of a very famous tech billionaire. He causes some trouble. And um, through Jet, we meet a whole variety of characters. We meet Grace, who thrives at Oasis. We meet Tyrell, who has so many food allergies, he's itchy all the time. He's a great character. Um, we meet Brooklyn, who is trying to fully embrace the life at Oasis. And we also have Brandon, who is a former son, he's a son of a former football player. They're all there to just watch their weights and keep healthy all the time. We learn also about the man who runs Oasis. His name is Magnus Fellini. 
And something's not quite right with Magnus Fellini and his assistant Ivory. Jet, of course, does not settle right into life. He wants to cause some mischief. And so Jet and his friends go on this mission to find out what's actually going on at Oasis and what is actually happening here. It is easy to read. It is funny. I can see middle schoolers really liking this book and really embracing it. Um, but it is completely appropriate for elementary school kids as well. And there's a great little twist at the end of Happy Group. I'm not Happy Group, close. Um, so, Unplugged. It's great. Uh, a Place to Hang a Moon. This is historical fiction, 1940s. We have three kids, William, Edmund, and Anna. They're without grandparents or parents, and it's the start of World War II. So they are sent out of London, as many kids were during World War II, and um, they move to the countryside, and no one can quite figure out what to do with them because they don't have parents or grandparents. But then the village librarian is extremely kind, as all librarians are. <laughs> um, she is extremely kind and takes them in, but the rest of the town kind of shuns this librarian. So what do the town people know that the kids don't? Um, it's basically the importance of family. There's a great nod to Lion, which is a wardrobe in this book. And it would be a great book for kids who might not be ready for the war that saved my life or Goodnight Mr. Tom. It's along those same lines. Um, just a great historical fiction. <laughs> the Great Cat Heist. Oh man, this book is just delightfully simple and has gotten a ton of rave reviews from my students. Butterbean, the dog, as you can see here, Butterbean the dog is officially a bad dog because his vomit caused his owner, Mrs. Food, to slip and go to the hospital. And, and now, poor Butterbean and Oscar and Walt and the two rats named Marco and Polo <laughs> must find a way to survive. They do have a neighbor named Madison who's going to come and feed them every day, but they're not quite sure that Madison's going to do the trick. So they decide to pull off this little heist, and they discover a very mysterious neighbor that they robbed from. Um, but then Madison is blamed, and so these pets go on a mission to save Madison, because Madison is now their top priority. I would say this is a great mix of like Ocean's Eleven meets The Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> and it's just a fun book. Quirky, fun, spot illustrations throughout. Great book. And it's actually uplifting, which is <laughs> hard to find these days. Packs. Um, the Packs, the original Packs, came out in 2016. We have been waiting a long time for this book. And it is just as good as what the first one was. I just finished it last week, and I could not put it down at the end. Um, if you haven't read Pax, you don't necessarily need to read it to understand this one, but you'll be a whole lot more connected to Pax. Pax is the fox. Peter was Pax's owner, but in the first book, they get separated very tragically. In the first book, I always tell the kids, page seven. If you can make it past page seven without crying, then you're going to be okay. Um, so in this book, the war is over, and there's an effort to clean up the land and the water. And so Peter lost his dad in the war, however, and he's struggling with how to deal with that. So he ends up leaving Bala's house. Um, she is a character from the first book as well. 
and he joins the water warriors whose job is to clean up the rivers and lakes. Pax is now a dad, Pax had little kids, and one of his kids becomes very sick because of water contamination. And so Pax finds Peter in order to help Peter care for this little baby kid, this little baby girl kid. Um, and so it's just as good as the first one, I'm not going to tell you the ending because it is a beautiful ending. Um, but if you haven't read the first one, you can read this, you'll just be a little more connected if you have read the first one. The Lion of Mars is a great science fiction. 11-year-old Belle narrates the story. It's about an American settlement on Mars. Six adults, six children teens have been sent to Mars, and Belle is the youngest, so he has never known life outside of Mars. Well, a um, shipment from Earth arrived, and all of the adults get very sick after this shipment, and the children are forced to kind of figure out what to do. Now, there are other countries who also have settlements on Mars, but the kids have always been told we don't interact with them. We don't go to these other countries. But if these kids don't do something, these adults could die. So they have some tough choices to make. Um, this would be a great foray into science fiction for some of your students if they've never read science fiction. Um, Jennifer Holm does a great job of describing Mars. And you've got daily responsibilities, food, food production, survival, resilience on other reliance others, and um, family. So, Lion of Mars, a little science fiction from Jennifer Holm. Jennifer Holm is the author of Turtle in Paradise and Baby Mouse. Um, very different book, but very well written. The House That Wants Us There is um, by Elena K. Arnold, the lady who wrote Boy Called Bat, which is a great book for third grade if you haven't read it. Um, this is magical realism, I would say it is. Oak is a fifth grader who has lived in the same house his whole life, under the shade of a large maple tree. Um, he lives with his mom, doesn't really remember his dad because his dad died when he was young, but the one thing Oak has is a picture of his dad underneath that oak tree. Well, Alder and her family move in next door, and Alder's mom cuts down the maple tree in order to make room for their addition. Um, so essentially, can Alder and Oak become friends? It takes two lonely kittens, a storm, and a taxidermied opossum to make it happen. Um, to, for them to figure out what they really all have in common. Just a great, great read from a great author. The elephant in the room is the Holly Goldberg Sloan. She wrote Counting by Sevens, um, which is another great book. In this book, we're dealing with immigration because Sila's mom is an immigrant from Turkey, and her mom has to go back to Turkey in order to renew some paperwork. They think it's only going to take a week or two. It ends up being a whole year later, and her mom still has not come back. So Sila and her dad are living on their own, the two of them, and she's trying to figure out how to make this work lose her dad. Life changes one day when she goes along with her dad to fix a truck, and they meet a man named Gino. Gino won the lottery a few years ago as part of a group lotto combination thing. And so he has this huge property surrounded by these beautiful stone walls. And through a series of events, Gino ends up buying an elephant from a circus that's disbanding. And so Sila and her dad go to visit the elephant. They make some great connections. School still isn't easy. So Sila is um, mentoring a third grader with autism. And it turns out that this little boy's mother is a lawyer, and she helps with the whole immigration process. 
Um, it's a very timely story, um, handles issues in a way that gives us hope. It's a great story. I would say your fifth and sixth graders would lean more toward this than fourth grader, so. Becoming Muhammad Ali, I am not a boxer girl. I have zero interest in boxing, um, unless it's on the hockey rink. So this book is called Muhammad Ali. It's his biography. And it's interspersed between prose and free verse, with Kwame Alexander writing that free verse. Mm, it reads like butter. I had no idea what Muhammad Ali's life was like growing up. I could not put this book down. It's so well written, and his story is amazing. His grit, drive, determination, great illustrations, short chapters. Um, it does talk for, about his conversion from Christianity to Islam, so be aware of that. Um, I actually had one of my more dormant readers read this last year, and he loved it. Prairie Lotus is basically Little House on the Prairie with updated characters. Um, Linda Sue Park was a huge fan of Little House, but she also realized there were more diverse stories to be told during this era. So Hannah is half Chinese, and she is growing up in the Dakota Territory in the 1880s. Hannah's family lived through the 1871 Chinese Massacre in Los Angeles, which I knew very little about until I read this book. And Hannah's um, Chinese immigrant mother dies, and so she and her dad move to the Dakota Territories. The townspeople want nothing to do with Hannah because she doesn't look like them. And so she and her father are struggling to fit in, but Hannah never gives up hope. She always has this dream and this reality in her head that she can survive in this town. She wants to become a dressmaker. Um, this book is just well written, and for any kids that are interested in Little House, it's another option. You even have a slightly Nellie Olsen-esque character in it, which makes it very fun. Um, there are some tough subjects in it. Again, I go fifth and sixth grade for this one, over fourth. All right, so let's focus on just fifth and sixth grade for a while. Clean getaway. I actually had one of my fifth grade teachers read this as a read aloud out here. Thank you, Bree. It took her kids a while to get into it because there's a lot of that your fifth graders might not understand. But once they're into it a little ways, Bree's kids loved it. They would tell me about it in the library. Um, and so it's worth, it's worth looking into. This is about an 11 year old Scoob. Um, he is black, and he ends up traveling with his grandma, who is white. His grandparents were in interracial marriage, and um, grandma unexpectedly, oh, by the way, he calls grandma Jima. So Jima has sold her home, has bought an RV, and is like just leaving. And Scoob goes along. Scoob does not tell his dad where he's going. Jima doesn't tell her son where they're going, and they just kind of disappear. And so the whole book is Jima and Scoob traveling. Jima introduces Scoob to the Green Book, which was a book that African Americans used in the 60s to know where safe places were in towns. And so Scoob learns all about um, racism. He learns about discrimination. He learns about what it's like to be a young black boy traveling with a white grandmother. Um, lots of things in this book that you can discuss and talk about. They have very candid discussions. Um, and the ending, mm, it tugs at your heartstrings. It may cry a little bit if you read it out loud, but worth the read. The War and Millie McGonagall 
is another historical fiction. This is set right before Pearl Harbor. So Millie lives in San Diego in the 1940s. She lives with her parents, her sister Lily, and her brother Pete. Um, the U.S. has not entered World War II yet, and every chapter is like a date in history. So as you're reading it, you can just feel it getting closer because it's suddenly December 1, 1941. It's December 5, 1941, and you know what's coming. Um, Millie's grandmother is the one that understood her, and Millie's grandmother has passed away. Because of this, Millie becomes obsessed with death, to the point where if she sees a dead object on the beach, she actually has what she calls her dead things journal, and she records them and draws them in. Another one of those things where if you have kids who are struggling with loss, it helps just to understand what they might be going through as kids. Um, so, the other part of this book is that Lily's, or is that Millie's sister, Lily, Millie and Lily should not be the same family, I'm sure the same, um, but Millie's sister, Lily, has some health problems. So, Millie's mom is always with Lily, which is why grandma was so special to her. Essentially, we learn about food rationing, collecting scraps for soldiers, um, the mistreatment of Japanese Americans, and just what life was like in California in the early 1940s. Um, not every student is going to love this book, but if you have kids interested in this period of time, it would be a great fit for them. All 13 is nonfiction that reads like fiction. This is the true story of the soccer players who got trapped in the cave in Thailand. And I pretty sure I read this book in one day. Um, and it got four awards. It reads like fiction. You get to know why the cave flooded early, how they survived in there, how they got out, and all the parts and pieces that go with it. It is an incredible, incredible book, incredibly written. Um, it does talk a little bit about the boys' different faiths. So there is some talk of the different faith that the boys have. Um, one of them was a Christian. So it's just another interesting perspective into life, and it's nonfiction. Written like fiction, reads like fiction. The Sea of Winter. Um, I probably enjoyed this book a little more than I would have if I had not just gotten back from a trip to the Pacific Northwest when I read this. Um, but this is a very fun book. It is about Macy Cannon. She's a seventh grader. And she has a lifelong dream to become a ballerina. But she has an injury. She has a knee injury. Which she has not been able to practice in quite some time. Um, Macy is Native American. Her mom grew up on the reservation. And so the whole book, again, you get that Native American representation in these books, another voice that our kids maybe haven't heard before. And she's also from a blended family. Her stepdad is amazing. She also has a half-brother who's younger than her, who just adds humor to the book when it's needed. And the book takes place when Macy and her family are going to take a road trip to do some hiking near where her mom grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the winter. Um, it's a great, easy, easy read. I would say she is a seventh grader. Younger kids can easily read it. Um, so yeah, great books about, about Native Americans. We can do this. Gordon Gorman, oh, we're on to the books for sixth graders. Fifth graders could read it, but I'm gonna steer more toward a little bit of sixth, seventh, middle school for this one. Um, Gordon Gorman, once again, this is set in Choke Cherry, Colorado. Most of the students have known each other their whole lives, but there has been a recent archaeological discovery 
that has brought in a whole new set of students whose parents are paleontologists. And all is going well until a swastika ends up on the wall one day. And no one knows where it came from, no one knows why it's there. And the students now have a whole um, unit on the Holocaust, where they learn about the Holocaust. And out of that, they think the problem is solved until swastikas keep appearing. And so these seventh graders decide to dig even deeper, and they heard that there was a school that collected six million paper clips to represent the six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. These kids decide to make a paper chain link six million links long. The whole town gets involved. But even through all of this, all the work they're doing, all the understanding they're doing, swastikas keep appearing. I'm usually pretty good at predicting end of books. I did not see the end of this book coming. I had no idea who was responsible. So there's a shocker to me as well. Um, it's an important book. It belongs in your middle schools, and um, I think your kids would actually really like it. Starfish. I have seen this book around. I didn't think it was going to be for this talk because I thought it was going to be a little young or too old. Um, but then I had a friend who teaches kindergarten read it, and she told me about it. And then I went to Trisha and I said, Trisha, have you read this book? She was like, yeah, I read it. It's great. Thanks for telling me about it sooner. Um, it's written in verse. And I read this in one sitting. I read it in probably under two hours. This is the story of Ellie, who has been relentlessly teased because of her weight since she was five years old when she wore a whale swimming suit to her birthday party. And this book is beautifully, tactfully, respectfully, wonderfully, all the ladies told in a way that will help readers understand kids who might struggle with their weight and who might have overly critical mothers who are going to do whatever they can to try to help their daughter look different. Um, they also are going to learn about new accepting neighbors who accept you for who you are. I cried several times reading this book. Um, at the beginning, in the middle, in the end. This is one that before you put it in your classroom, you must read. Because you need to know what's in this book and how beautifully written so that you can have conversations with your kids after they read it. If you are a middle school teacher and you buy only one book today and read only one book today, Starfish is your book. Just like that. Where are my Wednesday wars? Okay for now, fans out there. Oh, but here's the deal. The first chapter is going to make you say, what? Gary D. Schmidt? You might even throw the book across the room. I'm not going to tell you what the unspeakable event is in the first chapter, but if you can forgive Gary, then the rest of the book is magic. Um, Meryl Lee, who is Holly Kirkwood's friend, is the star of this book. You do not have to read the first two in order to understand this book. And in fact, if you haven't read Wednesday War is Okay for Now, the first chapter might not affect you that much. Maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> um, but Meryl Lee is sent to the St. Aline's Preparatory Academy for Girls after the unspeakable tragedy in Chapter 1. This school is rich in tradition and very, very strict. Throughout Meryl Lee's story of finding her place in the school and dealing with that tragedy from Chapter 1, we get the parallel story of Matt Coffin, who is on the run, has a very sketchy background. And as only Gary Schmidt can do, he weaves these two stories together like the master storyteller that he is. 
And you, like I said, you don't need to read the first two to appreciate this one, but for any fans out there, and what a great opportunity to reintroduce, reintroduce your kids to Wednesday Wars and okay for now. See if you can get past chapter one. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Ground Zero is a book set about 9-11. Alan Gratz is a, a master of historical fiction. Um, this is told from two different perspectives, as many of the Alan Gratz's books are. We get um, Brandon, who is nine years old on 9-11, and he is at the Twin Towers with his dad. Because his dad works in the Twin Towers, and he is there and experiences the terror firsthand. The other story we get is from Rashmina, who lives in Afghanistan, in present-day Afghanistan. Um, she, obviously, has grown up only knowing war because she's 11. So all she's ever known is war-torn Afghanistan. When her family takes in a wounded American soldier, her family is threatened, and her family is in danger. Um, and these two stories are beautifully connected at the end. Younger students obviously could read this book because of the subject matter and because of, obviously, the events of 9-11. It's going to be a little bit better off for your older kids. That's why I bumped it into the sixth grade category. Res dogs. Um, <laughs> not to be confused with reservation dogs. This is very different. This is also written in free verse. Now, what's very interesting about this book is it is written and set in the early days of our pandemic. So it came out quickly that we got a book this fast, set back in, like, March of 2020. Um, Malian is visiting her grandparents on the Wabanaki Reservation. Um, she can't get back to Boston because her parents are there, but we're in lockdown. So she is stuck with her grandparents on the reservation. It's very rich in Native American culture, Native American um, traditions. I, and also what I appreciate about it is it navigates some really hard truths about life on a reservation that um, is just handled in a brilliant, beautiful way. It talks about racism, it talks about government boarding schools, it actually touches briefly on some doctor's attempts to sterilize American Indian women, Native American women, and that's why it's one of the sixth grade read, because your fifth graders and fourth graders aren't going to be ready for all the topics that it discusses. Um, the author is himself a Native American, so it is an own voices um, book. I would say you can read this as a read aloud. I listened to it, the author reads it. It's very well done. Alright, let's talk about some graphic novels real quick. PB and J. Ha ha. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's P, it's a B, and it's a J. And they are very unlikely friends. But these books are hilarious. I cannot keep them on my shelves. I have third graders reading them. I have fifth graders reading them. They're just great. Every book so far has focused in on one of the characters. Um, with the middle one, the wannabes, um, with the, yeah, they want to be the queen bee. And it's just great. Funny, hilarious. Get these books. Pizza and taco. I actually had a student say to me, I like pizza. I like tacos. I'll like this book. And she did. <laughs> Not quite as funny as PB and J, but still great friendships. Um, what I especially appreciate in the first book, Who's the Best? I have read all three. Um, and Who's the Best? They're trying to decide who's the best. And they realize they have way more in common than what they thought they did. And isn't that what life is all about? Having things in common. So they're clever, they're fun. Do you like pizza? Do you like tacos? You'll like pizza and taco. Katie the Cat Sitter was a very unexpected book 
summer camp. So she ends up getting a cat sitting job for a very mysterious upstairs neighbor named Mrs. Lang. Now, Ms. Lang has 217 cats, and these cats do not act like normal cats do. And Kate just kind of needs to survive the night. And isn't it odd that every time Miss Lang disappears for the night, um, the villain, Mousteress, causes some problems in the city. Hmm. Could Ms. Lang be Mousteress? Could she be someone else? What I love about this book is you have strong female characters. Even though Ms. Lang is mysterious, she sees the best in Katie, and she almost acts like a mentor to Katie. I was delighted beyond words with this book. It is not what I expected. It was one of those very pleasant surprises. Lightfall. <laughs> this is a book I would not do justice to. When kids ask me what it's about, I say, do you like Amulet? Do you like graphic novels? Do you like beautiful illustrations? Then this is the book for you. This is a super hard book to describe, but it is amazing. Um, Again, I really can't do it justice to describe it. You just need to read it. We've got themes of light and dark, friendship, family, loyalty, responsibility, adventure, anxiety. Um, anxiety is actually illustrated in a really cool way in this book. And so I would say, if you only buy one graphic novel today, this would be your one. And PBNJ. But I, I really, truly can't describe it. You just need to read it. Bun Bun and Bon Bon. Bun Bun is a bunny. Bon Bon is a Bon Bon. Unlikely friendship, unlikely caring. Jess Keating oozes positivity, and these books ooze positivity as well. Um, it's very easily written, simple language, and yet there's some rich vocabulary built in as well. So you're not just getting simple language, but you're building vocabulary. And if for nothing else, Jess comes up with the best names. Like in the second book, there's a fox named Scout Von Fluffington. It's a great name. Investigators. All right, I'm gonna be honest. Are these my favorite graphic novels of all time? Nope. But my students love them. And that's what it's all about. I cannot keep these books on the shelves either. Two alligators, Mango and Brash, who work as investigators for suit. Special undercover investigation teams. Is there a lot of bathroom and toilet humor in there? Yes, there is. Yep. But there's also great wordplay, great puns. Um, it's really helping students understand like that playing with words and the humor in words. My students fully approve of these books. Um, I have not read the fourth one. It just came out like a week ago. So my suggestion always with graphic novels is read them first. I can't tell you about the fourth one. It just came out. They love it. They love it. They love, have you read the fourth one? I have not, but I've three students who have. The fourth one is approved. <laughs> <laughs> Turtle and Paradise is based on the uh, Newberry author winning book. I don't always love graphic novels based on books or books, graphic novels from books. I really like this one. Um, 1935, Key West, Florida. Turtle is sent to live with relatives. She hooks up with the diaper gang, which is a group of boys that babysit all day and have a secret diaper rash recipe that as only these little boys can do. Um, adventure, family, secrets, buried treasure, the depression, historical fiction. It's a great one. 
When scars start are scattered, I would say it's more, much more appropriate from middle school. This is actually the true story of Omar Mohammed, who is the author. Um, he grew up in a refugee camp in Kenya after he saw his father being killed and he was separated from his mother. They lived in Somalia. Um, Omar is there with his brother, who does not speak and is prone to seizures. But there's a lady across the way named Fatuma who helps them out. So we learn all about refugee camps in this book, from how they only got food once a week, to having to hide anything valuable, um, school life, the idea and the dream of being resettled in another country. Um, it's a great book. If you want to listen to the audio version of it, different voices are for every character. Again, middle school. Definitely middle school. Let's go through a quick, some quick picture books. Go and Do Likewise is based on the parables of Jesus by John Hendricks. John Hendricks wrote The Miracle Man several years ago. It's just so wonderful to have a beautiful, beautiful picture book that is biblically based. Um, it's basically all about the parables and wisdom of Jesus. I loved it. Uh, side note, if you ever read this book to your kids, go on John Hendricks' website and take a look at how he takes sermon notes. He illustrates sermon times. Whereas his pastor's preaching, he is illustrating well what the pastor's preaching about. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. Um, change things. Amanda Gorman was the inaugural poet um, at, the, at President Biden's inauguration. And this book is beautiful. It is illustrated by Warren Long, who illustrated Otis. Um, and he does a great job. Did you know he was colorblind? Fun fact, but more and more, she is colorblind. Um, the whole theme of this poem is little kindnesses and how these little kindnesses make a big difference. Essentially, whatever you do for the least of these is what this book is all about. Um, I think it's the conversations you can have with your class are priceless. It is beautifully written, beautifully illustrated, highly recommend. Survivor Tree is based on the one tree that survived 9-11. There are hundreds, not hundreds, that would be an exaggeration. There are a bunch of Survivor Tree books out there. In my opinion, this is the best one. It's simply written, beautifully illustrated, the back matter is great. Wishes is a book that tells, this, the author's name is Moontivan. Moontivan is how you say her name. Um, it's a very honest story about a Vietnamese family and their immigration and how they left their country and how they got from their country. Um, the back matter is very important because this is all based on the author's life. It's very simple. There are very few words. The words are super important. The illustrations are super important. I think older students would really grasp this. Younger students, very accessible. They'll do a little more explaining. Beautifully written, beautifully illustrated. Facts versus opinions versus robots. Exactly what it sounds like. If you're teaching facts and opinions, this is your book. 21 Steps. Um, oh, not quite. We're almost there. This tells the story behind the tomb of the unknown soldier. Um, so all that background of why we created this tomb of the unknown soldier, what, it's, what the guards are all about, and it's illustrated respectfully and is told beautifully. Um, this could be a great one to use near Memorial Day or really any day. <coughs> Finally, my last book is Unspeakable, the Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, this is a very powerful and yet accessible look into the devastation of 1921. 
when a white mob attacked the black community of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, this book traces the history of Tulsa and how it became a very, um, a very proficient city. I'm not even words anymore. Um, but it does a great job of telling the story of what happened. And it also, what I especially appreciated was it, the ending is full of hope and call for a better future. Um, the back matter is especially appropriate. This could really be in every middle school library or history classroom. And that is the end. But here's how it's going to work. If you are a first-year teacher, how many first-year teachers are there? All right. So first-year teachers, and then, or, let's start with first-year teachers. If you're not a first-year teacher, I think I'll have enough for more than just that. Um, or if this is your first convention. Let the first-year teachers go first, though. And whoever gets up here, take your pick.